Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, channel pros. Welcome to Channel Journeys. This is your host, Rob Spee. Happy July. We are now in the second half of 2022. My favorite event of the year, the Tour de France, is in full swing, and I'm getting psyched for my big ride of the summer, RAGRAI, which is Register's Annual Great Bike Ride Across Iowa. It's a huge ride. It started in the 70s by a couple of bike riders who worked for the Des Moines Register newspaper. I did the ride about 10 years ago with over 20,000 other crazy cyclists, and I can't wait to ride again. So I'm getting psyched for that. Well, today's podcast is one I was actually planning to launch two weeks ago, but then I had that special podcast from our partner advisory board in Monaco that I really wanted to release while it was still fresh. But before we get to today's show, I want to give a shout out to Allbound, the sponsor of Channel Journeys and the maker of a world-leading partner portal that vendors rely on to manage their diverse partner ecosystems. Allbound is fast and easy to set up, and their user interface makes it easy on partners to collaborate on co-selling and co-marketing while they ramp up on training and certifications. You can manage all different types of partners with Allbound. Be sure to check them out at allbound.com. All right, today I am talking with Lynn Murphy. She is the CEO of Pluggable Technologies, and Lynn has a ton of channel experience working both as a distributor at Westcon in the U.S. and Canada and as a channel partner as the CEO of StarTech. We talk about the shift to digital buying and the remote workforce and what you can do to succeed in this new environment that really doesn't look like it's going away. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, Lynn, good morning. Welcome to the Channel Journeys podcast. How are you doing today? I'm just fantastic, Rob. Good morning. Good morning. Great to have you on the show. And I always ask, where are you hunkered down today? I am hunkered down in London, Ontario, Canada. London, not London, but it's Canada, not London, England. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Little London. Little London, which is just outside of, of, of Toronto? It is, yep. Okay, great. Excellent. Is that where you're from originally? No, no. I've been from around the uh, greater Toronto area. I moved here well, about five years ago. Okay, very good. And you are now CEO of Pluggable. And for our, our listeners, maybe we just give a short description of what you guys do. Yeah, sure. So uh, Pluggable, actually, uh, we make uh, docking stations. In fact, we're one of the top 10 brands in the world and uh, connectivity devices. So we right now enable work from home, you know, work from hybrid office or roaming. So we enable that current environment. And did you tell me your docking station, it, you can plug in either a Mac or a PC? Correct. Yes, it's universal. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. It is. So obviously those are, have got to be in high demand. But before we get to that, tell us a little bit, what's your partner strategy? You must have a channel for getting to your customers. Well, you know, it's interesting. This is actually what led me to the discussion we're going to get into. So uh, during the pandemic, I was actually working with a, a peer advisory group for CEOs and um, kind of lived live through the, the transition of what was happening. And when I started advising with Pluggable, they were actually born on Amazon and a digital native. And so they were finding their way into the channel. The channel was um, being asked for Pluggable. 
um, as you can imagine, they uh, they docking stations and everything you you name it is in short supply, and uh, and so there's this new brand agnostic behavior where people, if it's if it works and it's got good reviews and it's kind of a, a favorite among techies, then they start asking for it in the channel, and if the channel gets asked enough about it, then they'll start coming to the manufacturer. So. We were early days into the channel, and I started advising Pluggable on the channel. And I got a firsthand view of a fresh look at the channel coming from the outside in. I've spent my whole career here, but I can see at the same time I was seeing during the pandemic, this transformation of, uh, B2, of B2B buyer behavior. And then I was seeing this, this entrant, this digital native trying to come into the channel and all this disruption happening. So it just became really interesting. I started doing a ton of research on the, the what's happening with B2B buyer behavior and digital native B2B e-com, what's happening there. So And you like this company so much you decided to run it. Exactly. Yeah. It was, you know what? It's a really interesting company. And I spent my whole career in the channel and to see this brand new ecosystem that's evolved around Amazon and how disruptive they are. It just, it was something that just fascinated me. It is kind of interesting because at Beyond Trust, you know, we're kind of a traditional vendor. We've moved to the SaaS model. Channel's super important to us. Now we're moving to the Amazon marketplace. That's coming up soon for us. So we're moving to Amazon, but Pluggable started in Amazon and is moving in the opposite direction to the channel. That's really fascinating. It is really fascinating. I mean, most uh, that I had experienced as well, we're kind of going the other way. And yeah, so it is, it, it has been a very interesting learning experience. And I love the channel. I want it to survive. Nobody wants to be in a world where there's only one choice. And, uh, and so this is kind of what got me passionate about all of the things I'm seeing and, you know, what that, what that means to the channel or what it should mean to the channel. So you, you mentioned you were doing this, this work, consulting work uh, with Pluggable kind of during the COVID crisis, right? But do you think this shift in buyer behavior was already well along before COVID hit us? Yes, it definitely was underway. But as the pandemic has done for many things, it moved it forward by a decade. So it was happening slowly. You know, we did see marketplaces evolving in the channel, right? You've got the likes of CDW and Insight that have put a lot of investment into a great website. But, you know, that was done out of need as well. I mean, they saw Amazon disrupting them. They saw that the cost to deal with all the SMB and low average selling price products could be done better, better served digitally. So yeah, this was underway for sure. What was the acceleration? Was it the fact that we had to go remote? Was that the key driver? I think so. Absolutely. And no more face-to-face. So for the buyer's journey, that had to shift. It was, you can't see somebody face-to-face and it was easier to go online and do your research there. So uh, the shift started happening early on, very, very quickly to online. And it, it was interesting. I have, a, I have a study that I looked at in, 20, in, in October of 2020, McKinsey, Forrester, and Gardner all start calling this out. They're saying there is this tectonic shift to digital, not like it was buying and it was early stage learning away from sales. And in fact, in October, McKinsey said 97% of B2B buyers claim to make a purchase end to end. And the vast majority are comfortable spending 
50,000 or more. Fast forward to 2021, and in February of 2021, 27% of customers were willing to spend over 500,000 online, and by November, 35%. So this is just continuing, and, and they're saying that People do still want to do face-to-face, right? They will not buy from a company unless they've met them once. And they do still see face-to-face as a that partnership. It's an appreciation of partnership. But two-thirds of the interaction, they're willing to do remote or self-serve. I even question that, Lynn, because you know, for the last two years, we've been closing business with never with no face-to-face, uh, unless you call video face-to-face. You know, and we're closing and those, you know, six figure, seven figure deals, which is incredible with, and no one ever thought that was possible, right? You never would have thought we could have done that. So I, and that's, that's probably the acceleration. You know, we, we may have gotten there 10 years later, but it, it forced it to happen overnight almost. Exactly. It did. And your company must have done a great job of following that buyer's journey and making sure that uh, they could self-serve and they could, they could reach the right to uh, people when they wanted to. That's the key to it all. Yeah, it is. What impact is this having on business models, do you think? You know, from a let's start from a manual well, where should we start? No, let's start it from the customer perspective. You know, the how is their business model, then how is the manufacturers and even pluggables business model changing as a result of that? Well, yeah, I mean let's look at us as a business first, right? All of us. We had to send everybody home and we had to enable people. So we had to get them the hardware and the software. Then we had to think about, you know, what do we let people in on from a security perspective? I mean, everything was just reshifted. And some of it was done with band-aids and now they're going back and, you know, fixing everything. So that a lot of things shifted there. The way people operated as a team, the way they collaborated, I mean, everything changed during the pandemic, just as end users. Yeah, I think you and I were talking about that Accenture study that was talking about some prediction that within the next five years, 76% of business leaders agreed that their business models would be unrecognizable. Like today's business model, you wouldn't even recognize what it's going to be five years from now. Right. Exactly. And you know, it's funny, Jay McBain made an observation that I thought, wow, that's so true. He started when we all did, you know, about 20 years ago, let's say, let's go with that. (laughs) And uh, he said back then, 100% of the channel was served to point of sale to issue POS. They installed, sold, and invoiced for the manufacturer. Fast forward to today, and his estimate was about 80% are not doing POS. They're influencers, they're uh, accounting firms turned technology. uh, And that's a huge shift just in our own business right there. And then, you know, you've had guests on talking about the whole ecosystem and how that's evolved. So that's a huge way that we won't recognize our businesses in the future. Yeah. For Pluggable, you were already digital. So you were like born ready, it seems like. Or has there been a transformation? You talked about the importance of the channel, but has, has this, you know, change in everything and COVID uh, accelerating, has it, have you seen Pluggable's go-to-market strategy or business model change as a result of that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we started on Amazon and no business wants to be 100% um, with one route to market. And really, we all want to be where our customers want us to be. And that's what's shifting this buyer behavior. Um, uh, you know, at Forrester actually suggested that it's uh, the telco uh, tech 
market right now is three and a half trillion, I think they said. And in 10 years, it'll be seven trillion. So it's doubling. But it, today it's 64% indirect channels and it will go, they think a third, a third, a third. So a third through indirect, a third through marketplaces, and there'll probably be 20 of them and a third direct um, to consumer or direct to your customer. And so that's shifting for us. Uh, we serve the the tech influencer. We serve, you know, the whoever is the tech influencer in business that's going to recommend our products. Um, and where do they look for us? And so it turns out that why was the channel being asked for our products? Because there were business customers that like to buy through the channel. Then there are business customers that like to buy on marketplaces. And there may even be some that want to buy direct. And so how do you peacefully coexist this new, this new uh, world where you want to be, you want to serve your customer where they want you to be? Right, right. And are you figuring it out? Hell no. <laughs> it's fraught with boulders. It is um, very challenging, right? Like even look at how, how do you, I mean, pricing is one of them. Availability of, of goods, it's very complex. Do you think? B2B has become just like B2C. Are we there yet? Oh, no. Um, I think that uh, I would agree with the, what the reports that I've read that uh, suggest that B2B is about 10 years behind B2C. It is a blueprint, but I don't see, I mean, just look at the channel, my experience of coming from this very sophisticated marketplace and then trying to come into the channel. And I'm not saying the channel isn't doing anything about this. I mean, you're seeing really smart investments. Um, the distributors, all of them, I could name making smart investments. DNH just announced a, a modern selling force that they're they're building. Ingram is making heavy and smart investments in digital transformation. Um, I could go on, but they're not laying down. But it is still massively different, and it's going to disrupt. I mean, I love the quote from Forrester again: uh, "The digital predators are eating away at the long tail." of the channel catalog. And I don't know that even the channel fully appreciates the impact of that. You know, I know you came from distribution. So did I, right? It's not just distribution. The long tail, which we are, we're long tail. We're low average selling price, a small but mighty piece of the solution, but we know we're small. And, but you add all of those up. They, number one, they are a solution differentiator. Number two, all of those pieces add up higher margin. And um, that can be material in a lower margin game. And they represent account control. I mean, if you start to let your long tail go to the likes of Amazon, it's a wedge into your account. You're talking about long tail a little bit differently than, than I've talked about it in the past, because I think about long tail as long tail partners, right? Those, okay, I got 10,000 partners and 100 of them are really selling. And I've got the long tail who does one deal every two years. But you're talking about long tail products? Yes, long tail product catalog, which could even be software, right? When you're a, par a channel partner, you have a catalog of, of solution offerings and the digital natives are going after, I mean, Amazon very clearly has made it their, it's a known strategy to go after the long tail. So they're getting into the channel and interesting, you know, I've done a little survey, just a, in my, an informal one, but you, you talk to channel partners. Are you buying off Amazon? Yes, yes, yes. They all have accounts. And, but I'm not sure how much the channel's aware 
of how many of their customers actually are buying on Amazon. So those partners that we're talking about, who could be long tail partners, but what, whoever they are, if their business model doesn't change in the next five years, they're, they're out of business. Could be. And not even that, but even distribution, right? Distribution is the fulfilled by Amazon of the channel, the FBA. And, you know, I know there's been this long naysayers of disintermediation of the channel, but there's a, a shift, a tectonic shift in, um, in the market is when disruption is ripe. Nobody thought the taxi industry was going to be disrupted. Nobody thought the uh, hotel industry or Kodak or BlackBerry, right? It does happen. And so I just, uh, I think we all need to keep our eyes wide open. Yeah. What, what advice are you giving your partners as you're building your channel, you know, and you're working with these partners who, who's, whose business is threatened? I think the most important thing every business can do, whether you're in the channel or not, is to map your buyer's journey and, um, and really intimately understand that because it's not a straight line. I mean, we used to have a very traditional model, right? You'd have your sales force, you'd have your marketing, your leads would come from marketing to sales and close, and then it goes to operation. That's not the buyer's journey anymore. And we need to, and it's, they're not all the same. So how can I, how does my customer find me? How do they, am I available when they find me? And so it's for, you know, just for us, it's about uh, digital merchandising, right? You, you've got your product information. If I search online for somebody, can I find you? And then when I find you, is your information enough that I can make my buying decision? Do you have all the right content? And then when I go to make the buying decision, is it easy or is it hard? Because at every step, if there's a break point, I'm, I'm at a risk of leaving. So how do we make that journey, whether it's for whether we're a, uh, a vendor trying to make that journey easy for our channel partner or whether we're trying to make it easy for our customer? We all know that we, we're going to abandon, especially lower average selling price. Depends on how high the selling price of your solution is, at what, whether you're at risk of that cart abandonment. For folks who've never mapped the buyer's journey, how do you go about doing that? There's lots of ways. Um, and uh, it, it's a combination of, you know, there are surveys, there are focus groups, there are p companies that do research. Um, for us, every time somebody asks for us and we get a hold of the customer, we say, hey, would you mind doing a, a 15 minute interview with us? We'd love to know how you found us. So it's really just about, um, and then there's online tools, which, which are almost scary when you watch how you can see the digital journey of how they find you. Yeah. But I suppose if you're always asking that, you know, throughout the course of the year, now you're going to see any subtle shift, you know, you'll notice things that are changing because things can move so rapidly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. What about this remote aspect to it? Um, where do you see that going? And what are you experiencing with your, your employees, your, your customers, your partners? Yeah, that's a great question because um, there is so much talk about this. And, you know, every business is different. If you're a physical business, then you've got at least a portion of your staff that have to be in. And so you're hearing those companies say, well, it's not really fair that I've got my warehouse or my operations people in and, and we're never in. So they're having conversations about what, what culturally they need. Then you've got uh, companies like us who we've fully embraced hybrid and, you know, a, a small percentage of our staff like to go in every day, uh, another smaller percentage uh, go in periodically as they need. 
And then uh, over 70% of us are fully remote. And that's because we found in this acute talent shortage that we could gain all access to a broader talent pool by just going, well, we'd proven that you could work remote during the pandemic. So why not keep going? And then you've got the hybrid. And I thought Ford was doing this really interesting. They're calling it the new model of work. And they have a, a, a work, uh, they have a kit that they send out to all the leaders. And you've got a 90-day work plan. And as a team, you collaborate on, you know, here's what has to get done over the next 90 days. What's our best method of doing that? And they acknowledge that there's heady work that, you you know, where it's like um, budgeting and things like that, that you can do better at home. And then there's future facing work that that is better together. So they're doing this. Uh, they're allowing each group to decide every 90 days what makes sense for them. I thought that was really fascinating. So you're going to see everything, but I don't think we're all going to go back to return to work. No, that's interesting. They've got their hybrid cars and their hybrid work model with the the 90 day kit. Yeah, that that's that's innovative. Um, something for us to think about. Are you seeing customers willing to meet face to face yet? Yes, in in pockets. So it depends. Uh, it depends where they are. So I was just in a face to face in Florida. I mean, Florida's <laughs> wide open, right? Yeah. So I think it's slowly coming back. How about you? Same thing at different paces. And uh, even with employees, you know, depending on where they're coming from geographically and how comfortable folks are in that region and, you know, and how quickly they reopened up, it definitely impacts their, their comfort level of meeting face to face. We're, I think our, our employees are pretty much ready to go. Our partners seem ready to go, but the customers still seem very reluctant to meet face to face. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I think, you know, it really does, um, it really depends on uh, the individual. You've got some people that maybe live with somebody who's immune compromised. And so it just, it's a new world. Yeah, I think it's that, Lynn. But maybe also, like we were talking about, the fact that we can now do these huge deals without ever meeting face to face, maybe the partners, or, or sorry, the customers just gotten so comfortable with that. It's like, I don't need to see you. You know, I'm, I'm fine working from home in my shorts and t-shirts. I don't, I don't want to go to the office or, or anywhere else to go meet you. Why, why bother? I think you're right. And, you know, we've all gotten, um, we can get so much more done. Those epic road trips we always took, you know, you're gone four days of the week. There was, uh, you got home and had to do all your work. And now you can get all your work done and do all your face-to-face, um, never leaving your home. And then you just do your commute to the kitchen. Um, yeah, that, that gets to be a, a hard habit to break, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, I think, but we as vendors or partners really want to have that interaction. So we want to find new ways to entice or use some of the old ways to entice customers to come out. You know, come join me at this ball game or something fun, a golf event or whatever it is, right? Just to get some of that face-to-face time because competitively, we want to have that, that face time with them. I think right now, my guess is that we're still living off of, and like you say, you did say that there are some customers you've never met that are buying, but a lot of what we're still living off of is the uh, relationships we've built. But at some point you have to go nurture those. No, that's a very good point. A very good point. Yeah. It's funny now, and you know, you, you have employees that you've worked with for a couple of years, you, you and have never seen them face to face. You, you hired them and then you finally get to meet. I know that we were laughing about that. I, I've, um, 
I started the company. I've never been to headquarters. I started working here and uh, I was joking. I said, I don't, I don't even know how tall you are. Like, <laughs> it's so funny, right? That, yeah, that is always the biggest surprise. You get to finally see how tall people are. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. We have a big event coming up, our Go Beyond, which is a partner and customer event in Miami coming up in two weeks. So really looking forward to that, to, to seeing folks face to face. It'll be a lot yeah, it'll be really fun. Um, but we're, we're still, you know, we're having to push pretty hard to get people out of their comfort zones, I guess, and coming out, you know, even to, you think, who doesn't want to go to Miami, you know, have a great, great time. But still, yeah, you've, there's still people that are reluctant to do that. Do you think it's budgets as well? Is, um, have budgets gone away and they haven't come back? I don't think it's budget. I don't think it's budget because we will find ways to, to handle that. I think it's more just, I think it's still just some reluctance to get out. That's interesting. Yeah, it, it is interesting. Hopefully that'll go away. Hopefully that'll go away. What else are you seeing or, or anything that you're doing, you know, to help? We see businesses changing, business models are changing so quickly. Partners are having a hard time making that transition. Are there any other things that you're doing to help your channel along the way? I, I think um, what we're trying to do is provide a lot of really good content. We're, pro we're trying to drive traffic for the channel. I mean, we could... Our business model, again, is um, it's a complicated solution. A lot of people don't know how what works with what, right? You've got a Mac and you've got a mouse and a, and a printer and a keyboard and all these things, and you don't know what you need. And so we try to make it really easy to figure out what, what you need. And if you're a channel partner, you know the channel salespeople. They're busy selling. They're representing a few hundred manufacturers, right? And so the easier we can make it for them, the easier we can make it for uh, the buyer. And so we spend a lot of energy on content, you know, being a digital company. We have a, a large YouTube following. And, uh, and so it's that omni-channel. We're embracing the omni-channel. And uh, we try to make sure we've got really good information. So that is everything from product information to blogs to YouTube videos to social media. And just making sure that we're really easy to find and to figure out. Is that as much for the influencers as well, so that they're picking this up? Yeah, exactly. Like again, trying to figure out how we were found, and you know, we we search back and they'll say, "Oh, I saw you on such and such," or "I heard about you here." Um, and so that's we try to find out where our buyers are going for this information. And then we try to be there where we try to work with the influencer and make sure that, uh, you know, they understand or like our product. And a lot of it has been organic because this is an American owned company and the founder uh, is a software engineer and Bernie Thompson. And it's kind of an interesting story because he found the same thing. It was just so frustrating to figure out what goes with what we plug this into that. And well, it seems like such a small little thing, this, this dock that sits on your desk, but it's really complicated to work. There's no universal standards. And so he set out to make a better product and better information with better support. So you've got local support. And as the support questions come in, our product owners can tweak and fix and resolve, whether it's something that they couldn't figure out on our information, it was lacking in some way, they'll fix it. Uh, whether it was a user experience problem. So we're constantly improving the product that way. So it's, yeah, it's an interesting model. Constant interaction and constant improvement. Right, exactly. Are you providing any type of incentive to the influencers? Have you figured out any way to, to motivate them or is it just happening organically? It's happening organically. Yeah. yeah. 
Although there are a lot of different influencers that are, you know, you send them product and uh, if they like it, they'll do, a, you know. Product reviews, that type of thing. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Very good. Well, you talked about having a background in, in the channel. Live, you know, you spend a lot of time in the channel. Tell us about that, your, your channel journey. I started at a service provider for 10 years. And uh, I was selling, you know, Cisco systems and uh, Bay Networks at the time, which was acquired by Nortel, which we all know what happened there. Um, So I started out there. And uh, one of our partners was a distributor called Westcon. So early days, I went to Westcon and uh, they were, you know, they were a $200 million distributor, early days of distribution. And fast forward my 18-year journey there, uh, we became a $7 billion global distributor, organic and acquisition growth. And I was running the North American business. I had four regions. And it was phenomenal. It was just such an interesting journey. Um, And uh, then I left and I went to a um, manufacturer. And um, I was running a manufacturer of similar products to Pluggable. And then I left there and I went to... I actually left the channel and I I was uh, an advisor at this uh, CEO group that I had been a part of. I had been a member of this Inc. CEO project, which is a boutique peer advisory group. And I loved it. It was so interesting. It was industry agnostic. And so I was in this group of peers that were in all different industries. And we had a model somewhat like what you hear Amazon does, where like this six page business case. We had a model where we would ident- we would bring a, a strategic problem we were working on, and we would have our peers give us feedback on it. So I loved that model so much. I actually went and uh, and joined there, and I was doing a bit of my own thing, and that's when I met Pluggable and and uh, joined Pluggable. So that's been my journey through the channel. That's fantastic. Any advice for for people that are early in their earlier in their career in the channel? The channel's complicated, more complicated than I think it appears at face value. Never burn any bridges. It's a small world. And uh, yeah, I think it's fascinating. I think the channel is fascinating. And so I would say now it is all about your network. I mean, everyone's talking about the ecosystem and being journey orchestrators and whatnot, but you really would have a hard time doing that if you didn't build and nurture a really good network. And I think that's what we're going to need more and more in the channel. Yeah. And I think there are even more opportunities than ever in the channel for, for either side, whether you're, you know, channel manager, channel chief on that side, or if you're a partner, you know, just the opportunities of how you can partner with companies just continues to expand too. Exactly. I mean, I was listening to one of your uh, other podcasts, I think it was John Guido, and he was talking about the same thing where there's, there's not a lot of, where we've got limited talent pool now. And so people are, companies are being forced to go specialization. And it's so the technology is, is becoming more and more complex. And the only way you can really be that trusted advisor and, and uh, solve the problems of your customers is to be a specialist. So I think there's going to be more and more of this need to pull an ecosystem together. Yeah. Well, that's what we're busy doing. I'm sure you are too. Exactly. Well, how about the fun ecosystem? What's on the, the fun side of your life? What do you like doing outside of this work life? Well, I feel like uh, spring is, is bringing this whole new world back. It, it, it's been two years we've been locked down almost up here in Canada. And so just to get out and, and you know, we had pockets of time where we could go out to restaurants and whatnot. But I just feel like I, 
we're coming alive again. And uh, so we're doing a little traveling and I've got a place in Nova Scotia. I think I sent a, a picture of the beach there. Just love the ocean and looking at it, walking beside it, swimming in it. I'm, you name it. The ocean is. That's your happy place. My happy place. <laughs> well, good. I hope you get to spend a lot more time there. Yeah. Well, you can now from work from anywhere, right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. You could have your backdrop for the video, but really what's behind you is the beach. So. Well, that's exactly, this is fake. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Fantastic conversation, Lynn. Really enjoyed it. Any, any last thoughts or was there anything that I didn't ask you about that you wanted to mention? No, I don't think so. I think the most important thing is business leaders, channel partners, is to just think about your end customer you're serving and your partners and what is their interaction with your company and go through it yourself. Because there's, a, there's new expectations now after everyone during the pandemic had to buy digitally, right? How many, you, we all went online, whether we were good at it or not. And we've got this set of expectations. And so B2B has to step. Well, I think that's the biggest takeaway, this mapping of the buyer's journey. And it's not a one-time event, right? You just got to keep doing that and, and see how things are changing. So that, that's my takeaway. I'm going to make sure that we're doing that. But it's Friday, so I'm not going to do that today. That'll be Monday. That'll be Monday. <laughs> That'll be Monday. Let's head to the beach over the weekend. Exactly. All right. Great, Lynn. Great talking to you. Best of luck to you. Oh, great talking to you as well. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. Cheers. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. All right, guys. There you go. Another fascinating and informative interview on a very current and important topic. Thank you, Lynn, for sharing your thoughts and best practices. I love your recommendation to map the buyer's journey and make sure you have the buyer covered all the way through the journey, leveraging partnerships and making sure there aren't any breakpoints. That's so important. And thank you for listening today. Thanks again to our sponsor, Allbound. Allbound has best-in-class reviews for user experience, ease of use, and customer support. And if you're looking for an easier way to manage your partner ecosystem, from deal registration to tracking partner opportunities and providing the right discounts and commissions, be sure to check them out at allbound.com. For today's show notes, just go to channeljourneys.com cj92. You can subscribe while you are there. And if you enjoyed the show, please, please take a few minutes to leave a rating and review on your podcast platform. And that'll help Channel Journeys reach more people. Next episode, we'll be talking about a really interesting topic about how you can maintain trust with your partners when going through a pretty massive shift in your product strategy. You don't want to miss it. Until then, have an awesome Channel Journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, Please forward it to your channel friends and be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.